Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 16. I'm Alexander. And I'm Jeanette. Hello, my friends. We talk about writing and storytelling on this podcast with the help of our guest authors and experts, since we don't know everything. Today, we're asking, what is fear? Here to help us with this topic is filmmaker Rona Walter. Rona recently released a documentary called Facets of Fear, which you can find on YouTube. Welcome, Rona Walter, to the Ninth Story Podcast. Hello there. Hi, Rona. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. So Rona is a writer and a filmmaker, and today we wanted to talk to you about fear. What is fear? (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, well, I, I actually just finished a documentary uh, about fear, a very short 25-minute uh, piece of filmmaking. Um, I think fear is the most multifaceted thing ever. It, it can be encouraging. It can actually be uh, very dangerous for you as well. Mm-hmm. So you never step out of your comfort zone. It can make you slow. It can slow you down. It can probably freeze you. But I think fear... For me personally, it's more a thing I have to challenge, more a thing I have to overcome, and more a thing I think can just drive you and and bring you to places you would have never explored before. It can give you, it can make you curious about things. Absolutely, because that fear of anything can make you go, well, but why am I afraid of this? And then open up the closet, <laughs> for example. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, um. Before we get too much deeper into this, I'd like to ask you, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into the Facets of Fear documentary that you made? Oh, yes. Uh, Well, my background is actually um, as a bookseller and novelist. I wrote a couple of novels in German language and a couple of short stories in English language, all got published. Um, But my real passion like eight years now is actually filmmaking as a director and creative producer in indie film mostly horror music video so facets of fear is my second documentary i did like an image film about haunted beer keller in uh, (laughs) ireland and germany before that um but facets of fear was actually a very interesting project because i started it on my very very own i was writing producing researching executive I was everything in that documentary and then uh, a friend of mine stepped in and said hey I gonna help you which is the second part of loopy gloomy media my production company so um, she stepped in we finished it together but why I wanted to do it was actually because um, first thing is fear is something everyone has Mm -hmm. it always is part of us of every one of us different faces different masks but my own fear was to ask people to help me. I've never asked anyone to help me with anything. I've always thought, oh, I'm begging. This is embarrassing. I have to do it myself. Um, maybe that's why I'm an indie filmmaker. I don't know. You have to do anything yourself. Um, and Facets of Fear was pretty much the first project ever. I wanted to ask people. I wanted to base it on people who helped me and people I asked for support. So every single person that is involved in front and behind the camera, but good friends, people I don't even know, people who just helped me because they like the project. So, um, yeah, I think in the end, when I watch it now, it's more for me 
to say, hey, I challenged my own fear and I did something I've never done before and it worked out well. How did you first get into filmmaking, Rona? Um, I wanted to sell a script. Uh, I was writing scripts for some time, but I wasn't very good at it. Um, and um, I wanted to sell one of my first scripts, which was called Hunting Snow White, like Bluebird versus Snow White fairy tale horror tale, or scary tale, whatever you call it. And no one wanted it, so I tried to make a trailer or a teaser trailer out of it. Mm-hmm. And again, I produced, wrote, directed everything myself. Um, and I realized that I needed more than four locations, over 17 characters and actors, wow. um, a, bunch, a high budget of massive uh, equipment, props, and uh, clothing. Mm-hmm. So um, a girl approached me and sponsored massive, amazing, beautiful dresses in Gothic style and beautiful, like uh, you know, like worth eighteen thousand dollar, I think. Wow! And I had no insurance, <laughs> so I, I took them <laughs> and I used them and uh, I cast everything and I even have a, a duel and a battle in there and everything. And after I've done this with over seventeen people and four locations on four days. People told me that the first step into indie film is actually keeping it simple and making no more than two people, no more than one location, probably no more than two camera shots. (laughs) And uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I thought when I can when I can do this, I can pretty much do whatever comes after that. (laughs) Yeah, starting with a. Epic fantasy is like <laughs> skipping to college level when you're ready for kindergarten. So props to you for that, man. <laughs> um, we both come from a film background, so we understand how uh, insurmountable that can seem. <laughs> oh, yes, that was slightly insane. But uh, hey, I mean, that was great. I, I still watch it. I, I still it, it's perfectly imperfect. I like it very, very much. Um, Yeah, it's my first thing ever, and I've learned so, so much. (laughs) So to uh, go back to Facets of Fear specifically, can you tell us a little bit more about the premise for that documentary? Uh, Well, Facets of Fear is actually based on fear in society, how it has changed through the ages, through society, different cultures. I mean, people in China have different anxieties and fears than people in Germany, Mm -hmm. or especially people in in other cultures. Uh, It's very multicultural. Um, It's also about fear in history. Um, I mean, faces of fear have changed. Back then it was a witch, then it was the communist. Now it's the terrorist. Maybe even the strange, I mean, stranger has always been a fear factor. And it's definitely about fear through time, through the ages, through culture, and even in psychology. So how scary is our mind? Mm-hmm. Are we really, um, yeah. I mean, what are we scared of? Are we scared of losing our phone nowadays? Are we scared of status loss? Mm-hmm. While other people are actually very anxious about other things like nature or scared to starve or to drown. So that is pretty much the premise or the base of Facets of Fear. And we did it in eight or nine different languages, actually, and more than 12 cultural backgrounds, actually. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Um, And that was one of the things I really enjoyed about watching this documentary was when you went to... You were talking to different people from different countries, like there was someone from Vietnam, there was someone from Finland, and their cultural fears were so different from each other. How did you find all of these different people that you ended up having this conversation with? 
<laughs> well, most of them are actually friends, like the yes. internationals were friends. Oh, wonderful. Nelson, my wonderful friend, uh, was in there as well. Osana is my mentor, uh, which is an author for fairy tale and fantasy. Um, and uh, other people were actually people I just asked because I found them very interesting. For example, the museum um, exhibitionist, she is absolutely amazing, interesting. She's a German lady traveling to Papua New Guinea all the time and she talks about the background and ghosts and fear in these very back countries in, in this very undiscovered countries what are they really scared of do they still believe in ghosts mm -hmm. and that was very interesting for me uh, but most of the people i actually approach and say hey i think you have an interesting background do you want to talk about fear but most of them were apart from two were actually friends nice and why do you think fear is such an important part of human existence? I think without fear, we would have, uh, yeah, we wouldn't be here anymore. <laughs> I think it keeps us uh, from uh, doing very stupid things. Um, it teaches us things. It teaches us lessons, maybe even. But also it drives us, I think, without fear, um, we wouldn't really be human. I mean, animals have fear as well. Mm -hmm. But um, what I think Fear is also something to do with respect. For example, there are countries where they say, oh my God, there is, like I said, in facets of fear, there is no mercy in nature. So you have to be respectful to that or you respect other people's anxieties and fears. Um, that is, I think, is a very interesting background here as well. And I think fear is the strongest, one of the strongest emotions we have apart from love and hate, maybe. I, I think I'd agree with that because it's the, one of the things as a child, you know, like there are certain core emotions that you right off the bat know, you know, love, you know, fear <laughs> and <Yes>. hunger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that's about it, right? <laughs> like maybe joy, you get, you get joy in there pretty fast too, but fear is so essential to how we react, what we do with our daily life. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking about, I don't know, thinking about even traveling, like if you go out of the country, you have to be a little bit afraid so that you are aware when you're going to this new country, what should I expect? If you're a little afraid, you're going to do some research. If you're not afraid at all, you're just going to walk into the wrong oh, cab and show up somewhere else. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, that is, but that is a problem nowadays. I heard something about that very young people nowadays have not much to say, but do post a lot. I think it is really harsh, but um, it is kind of true. People are not really seeing things anymore. They're not excited anymore. And even excitement comes from fear because you have to say, hey, I want to see what's behind the corner, what's behind the door. What happens if I leave my home village? For example, some cultures just stay in their own villages. They say, we are safe here. Everything is settled. And safety is, I think, a very, very huge human desire mm -hmm. people want to be safe if they lose their job that also means for example especially in germany they mean oh my god i lost my job i lost my status i cannot pay my bills anymore i don't have to move from my beautiful flat to a shabby little room for example and um, people see me differently they think i'm a loser that is the biggest fear here in germany i think where i live at the moment and um there are different fears in different countries but um i think Fear is really more like a, an engine, especially for me. I know people who say, I'm never leaving my village because I feel comfortable here. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also important to exp 
explore things and to say, how can I use that fear? How can I make it my engine, my, I don't know, dynamo maybe. Yeah. And definitely the fear of going to a place where you don't speak the language, um, mm. fear of the unknown at that point where you have no idea what people's intentions are if you don't understand what they're saying. And so you don't yeah. feel safe at that point. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, sure. But that is the that is the the biggest adventure, isn't it? I mean, I'm traveling a lot. I'm also traveling to to countries where I don't speak the language. I travel with friends. I travel alone. I meet new people all the time. And film business, you know that it is. You constantly meet new people from new culture backgrounds and new uh, parts of the world. And it's so interesting. I think if fear would hold you back to explore all that, that'd be really sad. Absolutely. So what was one of the most interesting things you learned while creating this project? The most interesting thing was actually that, firstly, um, two things, I think. Um, one was that so many different people, I mean, these people had nothing in common, not much. Um, one was a tattoo artist, the others were writers, psychiatrists, curators, whatever. Um, they all had very, very similar uh, ideas of what fear is mm-hmm. um, and they all were so incredibly different at the same time <laughs> so uh, it was like that's why I called it facets of fear because I mean fear is not just fear everyone sees it very very differently like the sky you know some say oh the sky is blue today and others say hmm, it's a little bit gray maybe <laughs> so this is like fear um, and the other thing is I learned the most important thing I learned for myself was actually that I'm able to ask people for help and for support, even people I've never, ever met before. I didn't even know um, just because I found them interesting. And I wasn't scared. I wasn't saying, oh, my God, I'm begging you for help. I just said, no, I'm asking you. If you say no, it's all right for me. But I made that step out of my own comfort zone and ask you for your support. And I mean, the worst thing that can happen is they say no, or they're not getting back to you. And I must say, not a single person didn't get back to me. They all got back to me instantly and even said, wow, I like your questions. I like the concept. I don't even want money. (laughs) I mean, it was no budget at all. I think I spent $8 on a parking ticket and a coffee. And that was Mm -hmm. it. Um, Yeah. And it was interesting to have a crew in the UK, a crew in the US, and a crew in Germany, filming all this together and putting it together to a massive international project. Had you ever worked on something with so many, I mean, you had mentioned that this was the first time you really asked for help, but had you ever worked in that big of a group at all before? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Hunting Snow White was a big, massive crew. Mm -hmm. So I had people for everything and even for them I had people it was massive (laughs) Uh, it was really really cool Uh, I liked it and then I did some very small projects with only five people or so on board Um, but it it varies so at the moment I'm doing a very interesting project with uh, about 10 people which is not so much but next year we'll have a bigger production uh, also about anxiety um, with a lot of people in the UK who work on that project like a 20 minute film so you need more people for that going to be a long filming period it's so exciting though isn't it like when you reach out for help and say hey I can't quite do this by myself and then actually have people show up and say all right let's make something together (laughs) oh yes oh that's beautiful 
And even those people don't even say, hey, what are you paying me? Never, not a single person had said, hey, do you have money? Can you pay me? They didn't even ask for it. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't pay you because it's pretty much my own passion and project. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, no, that's all right. Um, and they were so passionate about it and so amazingly uh, eager to help. And that was um, incredible. I really, I don't know. That was something absolutely new for me as well. Especially filming in Germany can be a little bit difficult because mm -hmm. people stay in a comfort zone. Um, whilst in the UK or in the US, they are more open and say, hey, I don't know you. I get to know you. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting part I've learned as well. You know, I think that's a big part of why we do this podcast to begin with is to get outside of our comfort zones mm -hmm. and to help others get outside of their comfort zones and learn about the different facets of writing, the different facets of uh, the world. So you did this, you know, documentary of fear. You have that expertise that you, since you've done all that research and done this project. And um, were there any initial thoughts that about fear that changed within you based on what you've learned throughout this process? Um, yes, it did change me in some way. It, it didn't change me as much as I <laughs> wanted it to <laughs> because um, I prepared myself very, very well for it. I was on it for over a year and eight months indeed. Uh, so I spent a lot of time exploring this topic and, and I think I've changed the most when I when I tried to, to set up the whole concept, when I thought about the questions, when I thought about the people from the different backgrounds and different uh, uh, topics, for example, writers mixing them up with um, museum people, mixing them up with um, people from all different cultural backgrounds and psychiatrists, scientists even. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was the most challenging thing for me to say, uh, okay, how far would you actually go? Mm -hmm. uh, is for example, I have one very, very interesting and popular and uh, famous person in there as well. And I uh, was very, I was literally shitting my pants asking him. <laughs> and uh, I didn't ask him. Indeed, I, I gave it to my now colleague, Liz, who asked the guy and said, hey, I know him anyways from my uh, previous life. I don't know. And um, I can ask him. And he did it. He was on board and it was absolutely amazing and smashing. But I thought, why did I not do it? Hmm. I mean, I think I've learned the most before I started filming and when it was actually done and then watched the whole thing on the screen for the very first time and thought, wow, why did I not do this? I mean, I could have put myself together and just asked the guy. And yeah, it was a long, long learning process. I think it was almost two years. And who is that? that which interview was that? That would be Charles Linden, an anxiety um yeah, scientist, uh, more or less. He does the, the Linden methods, so mm -hmm. get rid of anxiety. And he's very, very successful with it. He's a lot with um, actors, works with actors in the UK. Um, very interesting man, very um, beautifully uh, told story he has in that documentary as well. So I believe it was his one of his sequences where he talks about anxiety and where fear becomes a bad thing. Um, we've already touched on why fear can be a good thing. So can you talk a little bit about when fear gets overwhelming, when it does become a bad thing? Oh, yes, definitely. It is um, a big, big, big thing in a creative life as a whatever you're a writer or filmmaker. The thing is, most people don't really, I call it, make it um, 
because they are scared, because they say, oh, no, I can't send out my script. I put my heart out in the story. There are my own thoughts in there. Of course, I can't send it out. What if they say shit? What if they say, um, oh, I don't like it? Um, and this fear keeps us, yeah, it keeps us back a lot, I think. Um, I had to fight that fear a lot. I had to think every day, oh, what if people don't like my showreel? What if they don't like my point of view, my storytelling? Um, and in the end, I think people don't think, oh, what the hell? It doesn't matter, you know? So many people like your work, so many people don't. So that's how it is. I got positive and negative feedback on my work. Some people say, wow, I love this. Some people say, I didn't get it. <laughs> what are you talking about? So, and that's fine. That's all right. I mean, it's not for them. For me, I, not everything is for me or for you or for others. So um, I think fear can be a big, big problem if you let it. If you say, yes, I let my fear hold me back from doing things. I'd rather stay in my comfort zone. I'm not sending out my script or I'm not filming this film because I'm scared that people don't like it. I think that is the biggest problem mm -hmm. that keeps people in a little cage, maybe mm -hmm. or a little cave to, to, yeah. And keeps them from peeking outside the comfort zone, outside the box and say, Oh, you know what? What if, even if they don't like it, I can step up. I have feedback. That's the best thing that can happen to you, having feedback and say, hey, I really did a bad job. I need to step up. And that is how you become something better, something bigger, maybe something you want to be instead of sitting in your dark little room and think, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And for us, I mean, that's been a big process for this podcast as well, is just trying to constantly, we're constantly, you know, insecure about what is it going to you know be like what are people going to how people are going to respond to the show we've been you know we've, we've been doing this ourselves for mm -hmm. two seasons we've taken it over from dan foytick from the wicked library oh, yeah. and um we just didn't know when we got involved in doing this podcast whether we were able to really live up to what dan had put out there and to be able to continue that and, and he really put it to us to make it our own so that was we were very fearful of failing about that about you know trying to find a way to make it our own. We're still figuring that out. We're still mm -hmm. trying different things and seeing what we can do to make it better. Um, but, you know, recently we reached out to some of our favorite authors and, you know, some world-renowned authors, and, and we were so surprised when they would say yes. And then we were even more surprised when we hear about their journey and how fearful they were about um, getting where they were uh, to get to that next level or, or where they started from. It wasn't so glamorous. And that, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. When, when you can relate to people like that, like Brian Coldrick, who does uh, illustration and artwork for the, uh, um, the Doctor Who show, we had, oh, him, yeah. we had him on, on our show a little while ago. And Jeanette, after we had talked to him, had said, wow, I can relate to him so, so much. And even at his work level, as far as the, the, the level of quality that he puts out, his uh, stresses, anxieties, and process is very similar to what Jeanette does now, even though she's not a world-renowned artist, she has a big body of work and has done a many, many, many things, including feature films as, as a production designer before. Uh, but to hear it from somebody else who's in the industry, who is successful, that they've gone through the same thing, I guess it makes you feel a little less anxiety ridden and more uh, mm -hmm. hopeful about going forward with your craft. Oh yes, absolutely. I always say, make it your own. Don't, don't follow others, foot, people's footsteps. Just ignore where, which path they are going and make it your own and see that you can be you. And I think that should people should make people more comfortable. It oddly it doesn't. It <laughs> makes them more fearful. Uh, but it shouldn't. It's okay to be you and it's okay to be 
a little bit different and say, hey, I do what I can do with it the best. And it and it does. It's like it's I think it's um, especially for creative types, like you were mentioning, it is very difficult for us to find the confidence in ourselves because we are going off on a weird tangent. It doesn't matter that there have been thousands of other artists who've done it because the people around us maybe are doctors or in the military or have, you know, quote, normal jobs where it's mm. safer where it's uh, the risks are more understood and we decide, nope, we're going to go off on this <laughs> terrifying adventure and see what happens. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's beautiful. I mean, I did a lot of bad jobs. Seriously, I was, oh my God, I was doing things, um, even bartending and call center and all these things you don't want to do in your <laughs> life, uh, which, well, bartending is actually a good thing to do because it gives you a lot of the, there's a lot of creative ideas. You see a lot of interesting scenes you can put in your stories. Mm -hmm. It inspires you. Amazing. It'd make a lot of money with it if you do good tip. <laughs> um, it's really, really good. Plus, you would never, ever need a psychology um, university because you can just see everything right in front of your face. It's interesting for understanding people, really, and see, oh, wow, I've never seen this from point of view. So you are, and you're the audience of something I call the monkey circus, because they don't know you here. <laughs> you are like best friend and psychiatrist and invisible at the same time. So that's the best thing that can happen to you. So every artist should actually go bartending, even for a while, and see what he can get out of it. And Rona, why do you think that people are drawn to horror as a genre? I think that people see themselves the best in a horror film. I mean, if you watch a comedy or a drama or something, you rarely say, oh, that's me. Look at that guy. Um, he's ridiculous. <laughs> it's more like in a horror film, for example, a ghost is, can be whatever. A ghost can be your past. A ghost can be the past of a whole nation. Um, or a monster can be a monster, or it cannot be. It can maybe be something human and the monstrous part lies elsewhere it is i think horror gives people a huge amount of um fantastic thoughts for for one thing and they see themselves in different roles even if there's not so much from them in there they see themselves in in different characters and monsters and creatures and i discovered in facets of fear uh when people see the bad guy goes down they, they cheer, they say, yes, the bad guy, he can't do anything evil, that is great, he's dead. But in the end, they cheer for someone dying. So that was a scary thing I discovered while mm -hmm. making Facets of Fear, that you actually sit oh, in front of a TV and think, oh, these annoying teenagers, oh, they're all going to be slaughtered, ha, ha, ha. This is creepy as hell <laughs> yeah. to say, oh, wow, I'm cheering for someone getting killed on the screen right now. <laughs> So why do you find yourself drawn to create horror in your projects? Well, I wish I had a very creative answer to that. <laughs> I'm just actually very good in telling horror stories, um, especially coming of age horror with kids and, and teenagers and uh, absolutely love telling period drama, for example, Victorian stories, ghost stories, horror. Um, I'm, I don't know. I think because I grew up in a very weird place. I mean, I grew up in the Isle, of, the Isle of Sky, which is very heavy with legend and lore and fairy tales and scary tales. Even nowadays, they 
really mine certain paths. They don't pick up apples from the ground because they don't belong to them. They belong to the fairies. And uh, people that still grow up with fairy tales and um, dark lore and legends. So I think that was one part, um, the biggest part of me. And I think um, I also like telling them because it's the best way for me to express certain feelings and stories and storylines. So I can tell a story that's probably wouldn't be a horror story in the first place, but I wouldn't have the chance to tell it in a different voice. Mm -hmm. So I give it the dress of a horror story and I'm able to tell it so people understand what I want to say. Awesome. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. It's because, uh, for example, in like America, for example, fairy tales are just for kids most of the time. There are authors who kind of push that boundary with fantasy and things like that. But a lot of the time they're like, nope, nope, fairy tales are just just for kids. You know, put yeah. it on Disney. It's fine. But horror gives you that opportunity to take something that's not supposed to be for adults and bring it into this language that can terrify the pants off of people. But it's about fairies, which are in at least American culture, are these cute little happy sprites that like help cobble shoes. And I know in other cultures, they're terrifying evil things that do horrible stuff to you. But <laughs> it's nice to bring that out and have that come through and and with going cross culture I think horror is a great way to have that conversation so it makes perfect sense what you just said oh absolutely I mean Scottish fairies are not cute and cuddly you don't want to meet them <laughs> you just want to run uh, away as fast as you can but horror actually it just gives you the opportunity to tell any story to turn anything anything fits with horror not mm -hmm. everything fits with comedy or drama but every single thing on this planet fits in with horror genre. So that is the interesting thing. There's nothing you cannot do in horror. And even if there have been so many horror films and so many ideas and you always think, oh my God, this has already been done. No, it hasn't. It is always a way there. You can tell your story and it would always be different. Absolutely. And Rono, what are some of your own personal fears? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my own personal fear uh, I'm actually, I mean, snakes scare the holy Jesus out of me yeah. because I think I was like three years old and teeny tiny and very skinny. And I think a big, massive lady put a snake around my neck and I just dropped to the ground oh, no. without saying anything. It was, uh, I, I remember that very well. It was terrifying. And I think I was five and I saw a two-headed snake, so that didn't make it any better. Oh. Uh, so snakes are not really my thing. Um, but less physical. I think my fear is also um, maybe to not succeed. <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit German here uh, because I live here for so long um, to say, oh, my God, I really tried. I didn't make it, you know, not even about what people would say. I don't care about it. But for myself to look back and say, oh, shit, I didn't make it. Um, my, my father, who died last year, he said the worst thing now on your path actually is that can happen to you is you look back and you think, what if, what if I would have tried? And you, it's a, that fear is already taken of you because you already did try everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, whatever you, you have no reason to be scared of anything right now anymore. And I think he was right. Um, there's nothing I can say, Hey, I didn't do it because I didn't dare. 
oh, I'm fucking dead to do everything. I think that's a good fear to have. I definitely am motivated by that fear. I'm afraid that Mm -hmm. someday I'll wake up, look at everything I've done and gone, well, that was kind of a waste of time. Why didn't I try something? (laughs) Why didn't I risk something? So I'm I'm right there with you. I also hate snakes <laughs> and, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and spiders. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Which just nah. seems so basic, but you know they they just crawl out of everywhere. It's like you're in your car, and then there's one. It's like how did you get in here? Oh no, that is uh, yeah no. <laughs> it just like uh, gives me the, the creeps right now. <laughs> uh, we just want, wanted to say that definitely we're very sorry for the yeah. passing of your father. Um, can you tell us a little bit of a, about him and maybe if something interesting that he's passed on to you that has incorporated into your work? Oh, oh yes. Uh, he was um, he was tiny, but he was a great man in other ways. Um, he was indeed working um, on keeping the forests alive and everything. He always did what he wanted to do his entire life. He never did anything where he said, oh, I have to do it. I have to feed a family. Uh, no, he did what he wanted to do, what he thought was important for him. And I think he's the reason I am who I am, because he always pushed me. And when I gave up my safe day job and my mom was ah, crying, <laughs> my father said, oh, I would kick your bottom to do whatever you want to do. And he gave me an amazing advice. He said, um, because I said, I have no idea what to do with my life now without this day job. And um he said, sit down, take your time and make a list of three or four or five things you definitely want to do. You absolutely would love to do it, no, no matter how abstract and crazy that is. And I put down three things and I managed to do each and every one of them within eight months time. And wow. um, absolutely, I was very proud of myself. I mean, he helped me, of course, he helped me, helped me a little bit, but um, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to study again. And I definitely wanted to write my first novel. And um, I did all of that. And it was an amazing feeling because that tiny man said to me, you just do it. Don't think about what could go wrong. Just do it. And then you can see if it works out or not. And uh, he was right. I mean, my mother was all over the place. but (laughs) She's the Italian part, by the way. (laughs) And uh, yeah. In the end, it paid off. It was good to do it. And until the end, he always said, I'm proud. Even if you don't ever make it in a top 10 filmmaking, whatever you want to do, uh, <laughs> I'm still proud because you already made so, you stepped up so much. Um, so what can go wrong now? Absolutely. Uh, that's just, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. So, We've we've mentioned some of your personal fears. I'm definitely curious, have any of your personal fears influenced your work? Um yes, but in a in a yeah, weird way. I mean my first book, The Human Dress, it's about a guy who wants to be alone, who wants to be lonely and seeking solitude on the Isle of Sky coming from the city. That is pretty much my yeah. It was my intention back then when I wrote it because things were so difficult and I wrote it because I thought, wow, without all these anger, without all the wrath inside of me, with all all those problems caused by people and uh, incidents, I think everything would actually just work out quite fine. 
So I wrote the story of a guy who's seeking solitude, who wants to be alone. And um, in the end, everybody is scared of being alone. In Facets of Fear, Nelson says it very, very well, is that no one wants to be alone. Nobody wants to die alone or be alone all the time or for too long. And he's right. But in my book, I think this is what saves the character um, in the end, mm-hmm. that he actually is alone. Uh I can be alone all the time. I have no problem with it. Um, I could I could deal with loneliness for quite some time, but uh, <laughs> it might be a little bit weird though. Um, but in general, I'm not writing about my own fears. I'm actually writing about what I think is an actual fear, what people see in now in in modern life. Um, a horror situation where people say, oh my God, this would really creep me out. I'm not sure if I could write a um, reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And um, that is what I write about the most, I think, about people who are going so far to achieve what they want to, to people say, I would do anything to have, to reach that goal. So how far would you actually go? Mm-hmm. to succeed that is the basic question most of my stories would you really do certain things just to be on top of the food chain <laughs> i like the i like that uh that theme there <laughs> a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's really uh, people would do a lot i mean let's mm-hmm. be honest people would go would, would overstep uh limits and boundaries and and say oh my god i don't care if he's hurt i'm getting away with it it happens Mm -hmm. all the time all over the world everywhere people rather film than help so um if there's an incident so it is difficult i think asking that question if i would say i give you what you really desire but you have to do this or this or this and it's really unethical (laughs) would you do it i mean i'd say so many people would say oh hell yes definitely yeah (laughs) Probably a, a surprising amount still. Yeah, as long as oh, yeah. the reward is high enough, let's yes. do it. Um, Absolutely. And that's the scariest part. I mean, human human mind and human psychology, oh dear, that's so creepy. <laughs> it really is. Um, Rona, since you are creating in a lot of different mediums, I'm curious, what do you enjoy best about each of the mediums that you've worked in? Oh, I think I'm a classic here. I love to see my little characters walk and talk and everything and see everything put together i mean in filmmaking i mean you know that everybody says it's uh, three different films you're writing one film you're filming another film and you're editing the third version the final version um but that is really interesting i mean what i have in my head is already epic if i write scripts every now and then um what i have in front of the camera mostly disappoints me a little bit because i know oh this is not color grading this is just the way it is plainly um, telling the story in a technical way, more or less now, and a little bit creative way, of course. And the editing, I, it gives me really, it, it, I don't know, like facets of fear. I burst into tears. It was so embarrassing. Liz looked at me like I was an alien. Um, it was absolutely beautiful to see that documentary after such a long time uh, come to life, everything fit together. On my last film, Story of Frank, anti-bully, bullying story, to see it after all the effort we were going through and all the difficulties um, succeeding in Cannes, actually, it was great to see that and mm-hmm. say, ooh, everything actually looks just spot on as I wrote it. And I've never, ever experienced that before. It was just as it was in my script, really. Congratulations. Sorry, I think it dropped out for a little second there, but that's <laughs> awesome that it went from script to screen and actually 
came out the way you'd imagined. Like I can think of zero times that something I worked on came out that way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. This was the first and probably last time I had that. It was awesome. I mean, definitely the, the more that we as creative people that want to do things that incorporate a lot of different skill sets, the more we focus on each of those things and try to improve them, the more we can allow the creativity to flow outwards more easily without um, having to worry about all the elements. You just know that those elements are going to work. And that's, you know, definitely doing is, is, is really a great way to learn. Um, And, and definitely the more, you know, Jeanette and I've been doing that too lately where we've been trying to focus on taking certain things that we're not, the best at or things that we could be improving on and really trying to get a lot of focus timed into improving those things so that as we go forward, we know our, our work is incrementally increasing in, in quality and it, and it's getting better and we're understanding and feeling more confident in what we're doing and not like uh, we're pretenders, you know, that we're, we're actually capable. Mm-hmm. Very true. So since it's uh, deep in the archives of the Wicked Library, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your story that was on the Wicked Library podcast? Oh, yeah, that was um, back then, uh, just like Grandpa, what's it called? Um, it's a Scottish story about a very nasty family curse, um, which is actually a true story, um, because this family uh, has a certain... Um, uh, are cursed with certain looks, so they look very much alike. So one auntie shares similar features with a cousin or whatever, and even when they're not related and just married into the family. So um, the curse is that every person that looks alike with another person dies in very much the same way. Um, so my character is scared because he looks very much like his grandfather who died a couple of years ago and um, in a very cruel way <laughs> and he of course doesn't want to share that faith so um he tries to avoid the family curse and in the end it's a bit of a twisted um thing it turns out that he actually renewed the curse unintentionally on himself he wasn't even part of this curse but how he reacted to it what he did his deeds his um influence on his family made him be part of that curse it's always interesting how worry and fear can cause us to deviate from our own paths and to do things that are very irrational. Um, yes. And it's just it's just really fascinating. I think all of us, you know, the more we learn about our, our families and our past, uh, the more we, you know, start to get kind of neurotic about not wanting to repeat things that have happened to our, our families or, or people in different generations um, because mm. we're so uncertain about who we are as a person, you know, who we're going to become uh, when you have so many questions and you're just unsure who, of who you're going to be. Um, you look to your past, you look to your family's past, and then sometimes you see things and, and those start to influence your, your decision-making. Yes. It's pretty much a concept is um, the sins of our fathers. I mean, what happened to him doesn't necessarily happen to me too, but that is a very old fear, I think, especially in big families, especially in different certain cultures as well. I think Celtic culture, even Italians are so superstitious. They're really scared of family curses. And I mean, you can't blame them. Absolutely. So um, I say that word a lot. (laughs) But uh, another project of yours that we were curious to hear more about was 
Unnatural History, which is one of your books. It's a thriller fantasy novel. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Oh, a natural history is indeed not written by me, but oh. by a friend. Oh, yes. Surprise. <laughs> I, uh, no problem. It's uh, I translated it from oh. English into German for a German publisher, actually. Gotcha. But an awesome book. In the end, great book. Awesome. Oh, definitely. So what projects do you have coming up in the future that people should keep an eye out for? Well, me and my new company, Loopy Gloomy, we're actually um, on uh, our new film for Cannes at the moment, uh, which is another coming-of-age uh, horror story based on the amazing short story by Nelson Piles, uh, you know. That is called The Moon Sees You. And um, I was so drawn into that story. I loved it first moment I started reading it. Um, so I asked him if I can make a little short film out of it for Cannes and Braindance and film festivals. And he said, yes, this amazing man. And um, yeah, we're already in pre-production. We are filming in January. So this is the actual project I'm working on at the moment. Um, and I have a few more projects. I'm doing a fan film, which I cannot talk too much about right now uh, for a franchise. And I'm doing a beautiful anxiety story, uh, also experience um, how to cope with anxiety in a little bit of a darker way, um, which will be filmed next year, late summer in England. Um, we see how that works. It's, uh, it's going to be like a 20 minute short film, so maybe a little bit bigger project of mine. Plus, after four years, I finally managed to get a concept for my first animation kids film. So I wrote The Fairy in the Phone Box, a very lovely short story and script about wishing, making a wish. Do you really know what you want? Do you know how to voice your wish, your, your desire? And um, it's going to be a lovely animation short film by a wonderful students group of anima animators who are very, very talented. And they're sitting on it right now. <laughs> and I hope they're getting along with my terrible storyboard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's very cute. It's really a little tiny blue fairy in Scotland, surprisingly so, uh, in a phone box, tries to make wishes come true. But it's not that simple anymore in our modern times. And just quickly, um, we actually didn't mention that in the, in the other questions, but um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, company, Loopy Gloomy, how that got started and, and who is involved in that company? Oh, yes. So it's a, a group of two ladies from the UK, me and my colleague Liz. Um, Liz was actually bartending with me. I think the best connections I've ever had, I did, made with bartending. <laughs> and um, she was Loopy Media doing documentary, beautiful things with the Lion King actors um, very nice and very lovely comedy as well. Um, I was gloomy media back then already, and uh, we always wanted to work together, but never really managed to. And I think it was a year ago when she approached me and said, oh, I think I'm ready to take that next step. Uh, she's a very, very good editor, camera operator for from the BBC uh, background, actually. And... Um, yeah, we teamed up. We were looking for a name for our company for over three months and hated everything, <laughs> passionate. So um, she just came up with an amazing logo and said, you know what, we're collaborating, just call it Loopy Gloomy Media, and that's it. 
And I think that was a very good decision because she's loopy. She can do beautiful comedy and a very heartbreaking documentary. I'm gloomy. I can obviously do more <laughs> horror coming of age, touching your soul in a different way. So, yeah, that is our amazing, enchanting story. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Rona. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. With it. <laughs> Where can people find more about you and your work online? Well, we do have a, a Facebook fan page for Loopy Gloomy Media. That is uh, one thing. We have an Instagram account at Loopy Gloomy Media. You can definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm actually the Princess Rona. <laughs> 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 just fit and uh, of course I have a website um, it's just if you put my name in Google you find a Chimdo webpage um, www.rona-walter.chimdo.com with a new show reel with all the projects I've done in film and books and stage so yeah you can just look us up all over the internet at the moment and you can also find Loopy Gloomy Media on YouTube so we'll be having all those links in our show notes uh, yes, on, which you can find on podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E16. Well, thank you so much, Rona, for coming on the Ninth Story podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, really. That means a lot. I'm very happy. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, lovely audience. Thank you so much for listening today. We try each and every week to make ourselves sound professional. That's just for you guys. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if we've done a good job. Why, good job, Alexander. Good job, Jeanette. Why, thank you, Alexander. Why, thank you so much, Jeanette. <laughs> Why do we sound British all of a sudden? I, I don't know. It just seems like it needed to happen. If you have any specific topics you would like us to tackle or want to suggest some guests for our show, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Ninth Story Podcast. That's the number nine, TH, story, podcast. Once again, you can find the show notes for today's episode and all of the ways you can reach us at podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E16. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Ninth Story Podcast. In case you didn't know, I'm Alexander. And I'm still Jeanette. Stay creative, my friends. Bye, everyone. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Welcome to the post-show poem. This one is Dear Gingerbread Man. Dear Gingerbread Man. Run, run as fast as you can. I will catch you and complete my next plan. Your cheers and taunts will sound so sweet, bubbling up from below my feet. That was written by me, Jeanette Andromeda, and was the poem for Christmas festivus and holiday magicalness on HorrorMade.com using hashtag HorrorHaikusDay. If you want to join... Check it out on Twitter.